try to fit you in the walls inside my mind. I try to keep you safely in between the lines. I try to put you in the box that I Welcome to the last day of 2023. Uh, I'd like to inform you that you have 13 hours to complete any 2023 resolutions. Good luck. Um, do want to make mention of a couple things to you this morning. Uh, we are going, uh, our 6th to 12th grader headed off to Look Up Lodge in February for a conference. It's called the Love, Sex, and Dating Conference. And uh, it is fantastic. It is well worth your students' time. Uh, Kevin and I were talking this week. I wish it would just call it a dating conference. Um, the word sex throws people off when they hear that. Uh, this is not a how-to course or anything like that. This is a more of why is it created. 
why did God put this in place? What's its purpose? Uh, and, and what's the big deal about it? So um, it's, it's more of along those lines. So it's, again, I can't speak highly enough about it. There's adults in this room who have gone to chaperones who can uh, testify to that. So uh, don't let the title of it throw you off. It's, again, it's just, it's fantastic, great information, good biblical teaching on this topic. Uh, and it's well worth your students' time. So please sign them up. If you have any questions, you can talk to me. You can talk to Kevin. You can talk to, uh, again, other adults who've been as chaperones. And it'll be, uh, uh, again, I just can't stress enough, uh, worth your students' time. Also, uh, since we are talking about 2024 summer camp, it seems like a long ways away, but it's really not. We're going to pay our deposit for that in February. So uh, 6th through 12th grade, we're going to Fort Caswell again uh, this summer for camp. So if you sign up by the end of, by midnight, 2023 resolution, if you sign up, uh, you can get $25 off the cost of camp, so go ahead and sign up today. If you're not going to be going, you can save yourself some money, especially if you have two kids in your family going. You can save uh, money that way as well uh, by signing up tonight at midnight. Um, but that's all I've got as far as summer goes and upcoming 6th through 12th grade overnight trips. Um, but if you will, stand up, train neighbor, tell him you love him, but you don't care to see him until next year.
thank you. As we come to the end of this 2023 uh, year, I think one of the best ways to close it out is to pray. This morning in my in our text, it talks about how since the end is near, we're to be serious and watchful in our prayers. And what that means, the word serious basically means is that you're sober-minded, which means you ask in faith. And watchful means you're not apathetic, which means you're, you understand the seriousness of prayer. So as our praise team leads us in this song, would you meet me here at the altar and let's close out this church year in an attitude of prayer this morning. Thank you. and I'm going to lead us during this prayer time. As we look back over this past year, God has really blessed in this church by answering so many urgent prayer requests. Would you just thank the Lord for that? Just give Him praise for what He's done in the lives of so many people in this church. You could could really look at them and call them miracles in a sense, how God has blessed us. Then thank God for how He's blessed your life this year. Think about all the prayers that God has answered for you. Thank Him for the times that He said no. Praise Him for His sovereignty over all things and in your life. And most of all, thank Him for your salvation. Thank Him for living through another year. Father, we thank You, Lord. We praise You for what You've done for us. Lord, I want to thank You for this church family. Lord, I want to thank you for how these prayer times, Lord, we can look back and just thank you for how you answered so many prayers. Lord, uh, many of these situations seemed almost impossible. But, Lord, you answered, and we want to be careful to thank you. Lord, help us to be serious and watchful in our prayers. Lord, help us to always use this time to ask in faith and not doubt, not to be double-minded. And, Lord, to believe that you're sovereign over all things and will praise you when you say yes. And we'll praise you when you say no. And we'll praise you when you say wait. And Father, I pray that you continue to bless in this service. Lord, for everyone that's watching online, Lord, those who will be watching this this next week, Lord, those who will be listening to this on the radio station next Sunday, Lord, we pray that you'd bless their lives. And if there's anyone that has never placed their faith and trust in you, Lord, we ask in faith that you would save them for your honor and for your glory. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.
Thank you, Jill. If you have your Bibles, stand with me and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're continuing our study in 1 Peter. We've been going through 1 Peter for probably about six months now, I guess, or a little bit longer. And we'll continue into 1 Peter until we're done throughout the rest of next year, actually. 
Um, Notice what the Bible says. The title of the message is The End. Notice how Peter puts this. He said, but the end of all things is at hand or near. Now, that's that's a tremendous statement to make. Peter's telling these people that are scattered over about 750,000 miles of Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey, and he says, but the end of all things is at hand. Because of that, he says, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift. What a tremendous statement. He says that everyone who's a child of God has received a gift, a spiritual gift, minister it to one another, which means in the context of the church or in the context of the Christian community. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, and the word stewards just means this, that God has gifted me and he's gifted you, and you're a steward of that, which means you're going to give an account of that gift someday. You'll never be judged for your sin. I don't care what you do today, what kind of sin you commit. You may be on Channel 9 News. You'll not be judged for that in, in heaven if you're, if you're a Christian because you've been justified by faith. But you will be judged based on how you used your gift. Do you understand that? So if you're here today and you don't use your gift, and look, look the term one another, okay? In the context of church, in the Christian community, you're going to give an account of that just like I will. Okay? And he goes on to say this, and, and he puts, the, he puts, the, uh, he puts the, the ability of your gift on himself. He says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, which means this. God is going to use your gift however he wants to. Which means you don't have to look at another person with the same gift and be jealous. God's just using you however he wants to use you. Some people have large Sunday school classes. Some people have small ones. One's not bigger than the other. Some churches are large, some churches are small. God gives you a gift and says, I'm gonna, you're going to be judged on based how you, the ability that I gave you, right? How you use it. And then he goes on to say this, which God supplies and in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. And then he says, amen. And what he's saying is this, it's when you do these things, God is glorified through your life individually. Isn't that amazing how your life individually can bring honor and glory to the God of the universe? That just amazes me. That if we love one another, that if we, we're serious in our prayers, okay, if we use the gift to, to the ability that God gives us, all right, we're all different. God made us all different. That God is glorified through Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thought. The end is near. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, we stand under your word here. Lord, not over it. Lord, we're humbled by your word this morning. Father, these are very important things. Lord, it's a very convicting passage. And Father, help us to be resolved to do these four things that we're going to talk about this morning. And Lord, once again, we want to thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, we want to thank you for this church and how you've blessed us. Lord, you've blessed us financially. You've blessed us spiritually, of course. Lord, you have blessed this church physically. What an amazing thing that you've done through this church this year. And we want to be careful to thank you for it. We pray that you'd bless this time. Lord, this could be a life-changing moment for Christians and non-Christians. So Lord, I pray that we'd be attentive this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit, you would work in our lives 
And we want to thank you for how you love us, Father. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Of course, today is a day of resolutions, right? That word resolution or the word resolved, it means that you make a proclamation of what you're going to do. Okay? And I've made some resolutions that I want to share with you this morning. Anybody watching online, I have resolved to do some things next year. I have resolved to not eat cooked cabbage. I'm not going to do it. I have resolved to not sing a solo in this church, ever. Okay? I have resolved to not buy a cat. I promise you I won't do that. Okay? Resolutions are important to make. The gyms tomorrow will be full. By February 1st, they'll be empty. We're not good at keeping resolutions, are we? These four things, Peter says you can resolve to, to, to basically... Uh, proclaim it because we all should be doing it. Notice the first thing. I should live with the end in mind. Notice how Peter puts this. He says, but the end, look at the word telos, okay? That's very important. That word end, that word means this. The word that Peter uses to talk about the end of the world does not refer to a cutting off or termination, but instead of completion or fulfillment. And what Peter is telling us is this, is that Jesus could come back at any time. All things are at hand or near. That's what that means. The end is near. When Jesus rose from the dead, the last days started. People ask me all the time, do you think we're living in the last days? We've been living in the last days. These are the last days. John the Baptist said this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Think about the end of the book of Revelation. Jesus says this, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus, Revelation 22, 20 says. Think about this too. In between Matthew and Revelation, you hear this phrase repeated over and over again about the literal imminent return of Jesus. Imminent means this. It could happen at any time. It's helpful to understand that when Peter writes here, the end of all things is near the word or at hand, the word he uses for end doesn't mean termination, but completion. I've heard some preachers talk about, you know, like your death isn't near. That's not what that means. It's talking about the fulfillment of God's eschatological, excuse me, can't talk, uh, plan, which means Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus is coming back, and what Peter is telling the people in his day is he could come back today. Okay, Paul says it too, he could come back today. All but four books of the New Testament talk about Jesus' return. Book of Revelation says Jesus could come back today. I can tell you with, without hesitation that Jesus could come back today. He could. That's what it means. The end of all things is near. The end of all things is at hand. And what that means is that we're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, which Paul told Titus to preach to his church. That word at hand is in the perfect tense which emphasizes that it's poised to be ready to materialize at any moment. Think also, Scripture provides no prediction of a day or a year or a century or any future event. Jesus said this, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Have people not predicted the end of the world forever? Forever. As the Black Plague swept through Europe, church leaders interpreted it as a sign of God's wrath, and the end of the world was predicted for 1346. London astrologers predicted the world would end in a flood in 1524. I guess they didn't read uh, the book of Genesis. And at least 20,000 people, it was reported, abandoned their homes and headed for higher ground. 
Christopher Columbus predicted in 1501 that the world would end in 1656. The influential Puritan pastor Cotton Mather made several predictions of the world's end. The last one was for 1716. William Winston predicted a comet colliding with the earth would destroy all life in 1736. That'd make a good movie, wouldn't it? I think we've had about five of those movies. A Presbyterian minister named Christopher Love predicted that in 1805 the world would be destroyed in an earthquake. John Wesley, believe it or not, predicted the millennial kingdom would begin in 1836. Wilford Woodruff, who was with the Mormon church, predicted that Jesus would return between 1875 and 1925, which gave himself about 15 years, or 50 years to be wrong. Camille Flammarion predicted that Halley's Comet would poison the atmosphere and possibly snuff out all life on the planet in 1910 and sold pills just in case it happened. Charles Russell, the influential leader of the Jehovah's Witnesses, predicted the final battle would take place in 1914. Gene Dixon predicted a planetary alignment which would destroy the world in February 4th, 1962. Howard Camping gained worldwide headlines as he and his followers spent millions of dollars announcing in May 21 that the world would be destroyed in judgment on that day and there'll be more to come and they will be wrong. What do we know? The end of all things is at hand. Now think. What does the end of all things mean to you? Have you trusted Jesus completely? If the end happened today... What are the regrets that you would have spiritually? Resolve to not let that happen next year. Because the end of all things is at hand. This year, live with the end in mind. Number two, be serious about praying. Notice how Peter puts this. He says, therefore, look at these two words. They describe our prayers, serious and watchful. We're going to talk about serious first. That means to be sober-minded. That means when you pray... When you pray, you're focused on the thing you're praying about. Have you ever wondered off when you're praying or wondered off when I'm preaching? I know some of you have because you're doing this. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. You can go back and watch it online. But what, what God is saying is this. If you're going to be serious about your prayers, you're focused when you're praying. The opposite of this word serious is like to be drunk. You know, you, you talk to a person that's really, really drunk. They don't know what they're talking about, right? They have no idea what's going on. But when you're praying, God says, you're to be serious in your mind about prayers. The Lord's brother understood this well. Notice what James says. What a great passage. He says this. This is in the context of trials, and we're all going to have some kind of trials next year. Some will be big, some will be small. And he says in the context of these trials, if any of you lacks wisdom, don't you need wisdom when trials come? You know, you know what I hear oftentimes in Alexander County, and we got a lot of great people here, is why did God do this to me? I remember being in the hospital one time, a person had a car wreck. They, it was their own fault, they got a ticket, right? They're in a the hospital, thankfully they were all right. And they asked me this question, why did God do this to me? And I said, sir, Carrie Underwood asked the same question. Jesus, take the wheel. He didn't drive her car and he didn't drive yours. He didn't think that was funny. You know what? God didn't do that to you. You just can't drive. Okay? Listen, there's some things you just, that's not wisdom. There's some things that it's going to happen to me that are my fault. 
I shouldn't ask God. You know what I should ask God? How, God, what, what can you teach me through this? Some of you will have life-changing events next year and maybe myself as well. This would be my prayer. God, give me wisdom in this. What are you trying to teach me? How can you use this? And what's my next step? We've had church members in, in, in this congregation this year going through serious trials that would come to me and say, will you please pray for me? I don't know what my next step is. That's asking for wisdom. That's a mature, serious prayer. And then we would mention that from the pulpit, and y'all would come down and we'd help them pray for that. Isn't that, a, isn't that wonderful that you can belong to a church that can do that? And isn't it amazing what God has done in the life of this church this year? Okay, you got to be serious. When, when uh, Zach and India called about the twins, I mean, what an amazing story. They told them to abort one baby so the other one would live or they'd both die and the, both babies are doing well. Okay, they, they, they called and said, will you pray for wisdom? And then I stood on this side and said, would you help these people pray for wisdom? Help them. I don't got the answers for you. And God answered those. Okay? See, you want somebody praying that's serious when you're going through a trial. When Cindy Lou needed a kidney. Did we not pray? We prayed every Sunday, did we not? And, and I hope when you come to the altar, you wasn't praying like a drunk. Look, God is great. God is good. Oh, yeah, Cindy Lou, right? And we've seen the answer to those prayers, have we not? When, when Brian High was in the ICU room. And we did not know how that was going to turn out. I prayed over him. And I prayed for wisdom for the family because they needed it, right? And you pray for his healing. And God answered our prayers. Is that not a blessing? Look, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally without reproach. And what, what James says is this. If you're serious in your prayers and you're going through a trial and you ask for wisdom, you're going to get it. That word without reproach means he's not going to put you down. He's not going to laugh at you. He's not going to say this is not a big deal. That's what that means. And then he says this, it will be given to him. Underline that. It will be given. That's a promise. God is not a liar. If you're going through a trial and you're asking for wisdom, right, that doesn't mean you're going to be healed. That doesn't mean God's going to give you money. That doesn't mean God's going to give you a job. But you're asking for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. But, but, you better ask in faith, which says this. If I come down with a terminal illness, I want you to pray for my healing. But I also want you to understand that may not be God's plan for my life. And God is still God, and he is still good, whether I'm healed or not. I want you to understand that. But you better pray and say, God, I know you can do this, right? Ask in faith. Ask in faith without doubting. That's serious praying. Peter says the end is near. Be serious. James says pray without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed by the wind like a drunk guy. That's what it means. For let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. And what Jesus is saying is this. If you're not serious in your prayers, God's not going to answer that prayer. He's not obligated to answer your prayers. Be serious. And then the second thing is this. Be watchful. Isn't it amazing that Peter used the word watchful? You know the last time that Peter heard that word watch? 
was when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus needed not just serious praying, praying for him, but also watchful praying, which means to be alert. You're not asleep. You're not apathetic. You're not insensitive. And Peter remembered. Notice these verses on the screen. Then he came to his disciples, found them sleeping, the opposite of watchful, and said to Peter, What? Could you not? There's the word Peter uses. Watch with me just one hour. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. At Jesus' darkest hour, which was the garden before the cross, he sweat great drops of blood. Peter fell asleep. Isn't that amazing? And then Peter's telling these recipients of this letter, over 750,000 square miles in his day, billions of us now since then, to be watchful. What he said is this, don't be like I was. My Lord's most serious hour, and I slept on him. You remember Jonah. Notice, Jonah's on a boat. He went, he, he, he's running from God. He's on this boat. God sends a storm. All the sailors are crying out to their God, which are all false. And guess what's happening? Nothing. And then the captain comes to Jonah and says, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Look at the word sleeper, the opposite of watchful. The end of all things is at hand. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. There, there's a, a, some characteristics of people that sleep. Think about this, spiritually speaking. When a man is asleep spiritually, he's insensitive to the things around him. When a man is asleep spiritually, he does not know what's going on around him. Jonah was asleep on a boat that was going down. Sailors were crying out to God. They were having a prayer service, and Jonah was asleep. Do you realize that if you live to be 75 years old, 25 years of that will be, a, will be sleep at night? If you live to be 25 or 75 years old, 25 years of your life will be asleep during the nighttime. And if you go to church, for some of you, it's going to be like 40, okay? Asleep. The Bible says that Samson was asleep in Delilah's lap, but guess who was awake? The Philistines. They were awake. Peter says, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. He don't sleep. Christians sleep. Oftentimes, we're insensitive to the things around us. Also, Jonah was, as a, as, as a Christian who was asleep, he was inactive. Listen to these stats. 80% of Southern Baptist churches baptize zero or one young adult between the ages of 18 and 29, and the last stats I got were in 2016. And there were 10,000 Southern Baptist churches that baptized zero. That represents millions of dollars, and no one was baptized because Christians are sleeping. Live with the end of mind. Be serious in your prayers. And number three, and Peter says above all, love and show grace to everyone. Now look at that. You should screenshot that. Love and show grace to everyone. Notice the verse. Peter says above all things, above all these other things. Look at the word fervent. That gives the idea of a horse running so fast that he can't run no more. 
he stretched out to the limit. It gives the idea of a, a sprinter in a, in, a, in a hundred yard or a hundred meter dash running, hundred yard dash, excuse me, hundred yard dash, stretching out to try to win the race. It gives the idea of a person who lifts weights, right? The only way to grow a muscle is you have to go to failure. And when you go to failure, you're going to the point to where you can't lift it no more, then you're done. That's what it means. Fervent love, it's stretched out love for one another. The word one another means of the same kind. It's talking about in the church first. Have fervent love for one another. Which means this, that love will cover a multitude of sins. Man, do Christians need to hear that in Alexander County. You're to show grace to people that sin. You're to show grace to people in this church that sin. You don't condone the sin, but you show grace to people that sin. You want to make this church a full church? You love each other and you love your community. You show grace to people that sin because true love will cover a multitude of sins. We should be the most loving, grace-showing, grace-giving people in Alexander County. Paul told the church at Galatia, Dear brothers, if another believer, one another, is overcome by some sin, which means they're just weak, had a weak moment, had a weak season, had a weak six months. Okay, it happens sometimes. If, you, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, you who are godly, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That should be your mission statement. Instead of, if you hear a, a believers overcoming sin, gossiping about them, talking about them behind their backs, getting records of all their past misdeeds, and then going to them and accusing them. There's nowhere in the Bible. That's what Baptists do. Why don't you go to the person when you find out, take somebody with you, say, I love you. We know this is true, or maybe it's not true. We're here to help you. Wouldn't that all be good? But what we'll do is screenshot things. We'll write things down. We'll have dates. We'll, we'll video record people. And then you go and you try to be a, a, the, the local police for the Baptist church and then accuse them. That's the most ungodly thing you could ever do. The most ungodly. And then come and tell me about it. If you tell me about it, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to tell you I love you first. And I'm going to say this. If it's, if, it, if it's hearsay, I don't talk to you about it. Don't care about hearsay. 95% of hearsay is wrong, is it not? Or you can come to me and I'm going to gently and humbly try to help you through it. Because I'm no better than you are. I don't get special treatment here. Right? I'm no better than you. Because love will cover a multitude of sins. Why don't you just show grace this year? Just show grace. And if something happens to somebody on social media, please don't jump in on it. I, I say this 10 times a year. Don't. If somebody has messed up to the point that they're on the front page of the paper, they don't need you to be on there bashing them on Facebook. You don't know what happened. I had a friend of mine who was put on the front page of the paper one time. 
And the first person he called was me. And he said, brother, this is not true. I said, I believe you and I love you. Oh, he was bashed. Oh, he was bashed. 95% of those people were Christians. Such bad things were said. Come to find out he is innocent of everything. Now, nobody redacted the story and put his front page on the paper and said, felt not guilty. And nobody on Facebook went back on there and said, we're sorry for that. You see, if you love somebody, which Peter said, above all things, above all is what he said, love will cover a multitude of sins. And then he says, be hospitable. You know, back in those days, especially where Peter was writing this letter to, and it's in verse 1 if you want to read it, of chapter 1, a lot of times because of their faith, they would lose homes, or a lot of them had the rent, and they had nowhere to go. And back in those days, Peter would say, if you have a brother or sister in Christ who has nowhere to go, or they're traveling to somewhere else, and they need a place to stay, just open your door and let them stay. And don't grumble about it. Now, in today's society, if you knock on my door and I don't know you, that's not going to be a good thing for you. <laughs> okay, and I love you. All right. Uh, I, live in, I live on Shook Lane. All right. But what, what, think about this for a minute. I thought about this. Let's say you're in Hickory or Statesville, and it's cold like today. It's 30 degrees. And that guy's holding that. We'll, we'll, we'll work for food sign. Maybe honest, maybe not. We don't know. Why don't you pull up to him and roll down your window and say, hey, buddy. You got anywhere to stay tonight? No. How about I buy you a hotel room for the night? How about I get you a hotel room for the night? You know, I've done that two or three times this year. I'm not bragging. How, how about if you really want somewhere to stay, I'll get you a room. Be hospitable without grumbling. And then the final thing is this, and this is very important. Use your gifts for God's glory. Notice how Paul puts it. As each one has received a gift. Isn't that amazing? That means each born-again Christian, the moment you were saved, at that moment, you received a gift. You know how I know? See the word received? It's in the aorist tense, imperfect mood, which means this, that it's a historical fact. It's a historical fact. At a moment in time in history, you received a gift. That's what that means. At a moment in time, October 30th, 1990, God saved me. Okay, On that night, I received this gift. Now, it took me 10 years to cultivate it and, and get into it and using it. All right, But on that night, I received a gift. It wasn't like God saved me and then five years later, he gave me a gift. Nope, that's not what the word means. And he says, each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. In the context of the local church, I'm amazed at how many Christians coach ball. I had some, I, I remember every coach I had. It takes a lot of time to coach. I coached T ball this year, okay? That's why I see a psychiatrist. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Love those little kids. Hit the ball and run the wrong way, or hit the ball and don't run. What are you going to do about it, right? We'll be on the PTA. I don't, I don't know what they call it now, all right? We'll volunteer at the crisis center at Caring Hearts, which is a good thing. But we'll never do one thing in church. I just don't get that, do you? I have never understood that. We have students, and I'm not picking on you, who will sing in the chorus, but we'll never sing in the choir. What? 
Listen, if you can spend all your time on a ball field, you can spend an hour here serving, amen? Because you know why? It says to minister to one another, and I thank God that you're ministering. Coaches are ministering. Don't get me wrong. But look at this. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, which means this, one day you're going to give an account of the gifts that God has given you. One day. It's never too late to start. I don't know what gift God has given you. Pray about it. If any of you lack, lacks wisdom, just ask him. But God has gifted you somehow, some way, and he wants you to minister in the context of the local church. Somehow, some way. I wonder how many people have missed out on a blessing because you have not used your gift. Some of you can sing really good. Why would you not be in the choir? I just don't get it. I would. If I could sing really good in every sermon where I was really doing bad, I'd just start singing. <laughs> don't you hate those guys that can sing? I do. But anyway, I would do it. That's what I would do. Think about this also. Use your spiritual gifts for the glory of God. Every Christian has been given at least one spiritual gift. And spiritual gifts are given to Christians as a stewardship, which means we will, we will, we will give an account. Not serving the Lord weakens the church because your gift is unique. I wonder how many of us would be willing to give the church one day of service this year. Just one day. I thought about this. We need left tackles in this church. In today's NFL, the players grabbing the most headlines are quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. The ones who grab the second highest paying paychecks are left tackles. Why? Because I was watching here too. 17 million people watched an incredibly athletic linebacker named Lawrence Taylor blindside Joe Theismann breaking his leg. Ever since, teams have invested in left tackles. Since most quarterbacks are right-handed, the left tackle's main role is to prevent the quarterback from being hit from behind unseen. The role of the left tackle is literally to be his brother's keeper, and you're to be your brother's keeper. That doesn't mean if, you, if all you do is pass out bulletins, that's, and I, I shouldn't say if that's all you do. What a blessing that is. Whatever God has called you to do, you should do. Last year, 6% of all Christians tithed. Last year, 90% of all Christians were not in any ministry outside of themselves. And of those 90%, 50% did nothing. And the psalmist said this, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to do anything else anywhere else. And I'm going to close with this. Going back to love, because I think I need to share this last. When he talks about above all love, 1 Corinthians 13 says this, love is patient and love is kind. Love is, this is in the context of the church. Now I'll read this, I, had a, I have a wedding today and I'll read this. Okay, because in your home, that's your church as well. Paul is writing to the church, not a wedding ceremony. And he says this to a, a very uh, arrogant church. He says, love is patient and love is kind. So you should be patient and you should be kind with each other this year. Love is not jealous. I only got to sing one time this year. That person sings more than me. This person gets more praise than I do. This person's name was in the bulletin. Mine was not. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Or rude is not rude. It is not irritable. And it keeps no records of being wrong. Are you a record keeper? 
I've shared this illustration with you before, but I've been blessed to get my 1988 high school yearbook. Now, I may have changed some stats, all right? I may have. Coach Odom gave me this before he passed away, 1988. And I, I wrote down some of my rec the records that they were in there. Against Wilkes Central, two for two, two stolen bases. Against North Idol, three for four, three stolen bases. The boy was a base stealer, all right, I was. Against Maiden, two for four, two stolen bases. Then this game, I was one for four with two strikeouts. This game, I was one for three with three stolen bases and four putouts. I was chunking dudes out from left field, throwing them out, daring them to run. In this game, I was three for four with three putouts. In this game, I was 0 for two with two stolen bases. Now, dare I answer how this happened. In this game, I was one for five with three stolen bases. <laughs> how does that happen? I don't know. Listen, this, this, this will tell you the good and the bad of everything that you did. But as a church, you shouldn't have one of these. Mm -mm. Nope. You don't have one of these. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Doesn't do it. Think about this. Love forgives. That's, that's what that means. Now, there was a study done by a neuroscientist, and this will, this will really help you. And you better listen to this. When you think about... When, when God says love keeps no record of wrongs, it means this. The image is of keeping records of wrongs with a view of paying back injury. Now, I'm going to help you here. Now, listen to me. Some neuroscientists did a study on the brains of people recently with known resentment, anger, and unforgiveness, and those were the people they did the study on. Now, listen. Doctors Daniel Amen is his name, Marion Diamond, and Caroline Leaf have described what, a venge, what vengeful feelings do to the human brain. Based on biochemical research, these neuroscientists have documented the toxic chemical flood that our bodies release into our brains whenever we think malicious thoughts. Now this is true. Their micro photographs show how the chemicals that are released burn tunnels into the branches of our nerve cells. Dr. Leaves calls these burned-out neurons emotional black holes. They're empty spaces in the brain produced by the angry resentments of a bitter soul. It's a true story. Yet, amazingly, it is possible for the brain to grow nerve fibers back that fill in these black holes. New memories can replace old ones. You, you know what, how they know that's true and what the remedy is? It's not a pill. It's not exercise. The only thing that can fill those holes back in is complete and utter forgiveness. That's it. That's the only thing that can fill those holes back in. This church should be a forgiven church. Paul said that we should forgive each other like Christ forgave us. And when Christ forgives us, he forgave our past and he forgives our present. Do you have any holes in your brain? Today, let's, let's get rid of them. I want you to stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed as our musicians come. And I would say this to you in the quietness of this moment, I'm not going to give a long invitation. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you now to ask God to save you. 
There's no special prayers. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray in your heart, in your mind, and say, Jesus, today I give my life to you. I need a Savior, and I call on you to save me. And then to the Christians, I say this. Are you living with the end in mind? Will you make a commitment to be serious and watchful in your prayers? And we've done that, I think. Will you make a commitment to say, God, show me my spiritual gift, whatever it is. And Lord, I just promise, if you'll show me, open a door for me to use it in the context of the church. And then finally, pray this. Lord, today, with your help and by your grace, I forgive this person. Lord, I forgive this person. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, what a, what a convicting word this morning. Lord, I pray that these four things would be true of my life. Lord, I've struggled with forgiveness in the past as well. Lord, help us to be a loving, forgiving people. Help us to show grace to our church and to a lost and dying world. Father, if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Father, this is your time and these are your people, and I pray that this invitation will bring honor and glory to your name in Jesus' name. Amen. As Sharon leads us in the song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. I have decided for being here today. If you ever want to talk to your pastor, I have an open door policy. Just please call the church first. I want to appreciate, I really appreciate you. It's been an honor to serve in this church this year. I hope next year is an even better year than this year. I want to thank all our staff who serves here. You should thank them as well. They work very hard. This, this is a working church. We're one of the few churches in the county that has office hours. All right. If we want to be off one day, we have to fill out a, a form. This church works, okay, and you should thank God for your staff, and I want to thank all our staff that serves here. I want to thank you for loving us. Thank you for praying for us. God bless you, and I hope you have a happy new year.